Thompson would go up there and say, what those two guys say? <laughs> That's two hard acts to follow, isn't it? I told, told Bill, I was going to go up there and go, what they said. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I love it, Bill, when you, uh, I know how shy you are anyway, and, and uh, you get fired up. I'm telling you what, it, it blesses people. It really does. It blesses me. So, so good evening. So, Lord, what should we talk about tonight? Father God, we just thank you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit in this place. As we saw on Sunday, and we will continue to see, Father God, that you're just going to pour your Spirit out in, in massive doses. We're going we're gonna to have a, a, a revival in this place. In the name we pray. Amen. Well, as I was uh, trying to figure out what I was going to talk about, some things happened over the last couple of weeks. I'm going to go through that pretty quickly. I'd, I'd freed up finally to be able to go to the jail again on a, on a Thursday night. And I, so I came in on Wednesday, and, I, and Larry asked me, he said, you going to be able to go? I said, yeah. He said, good, you're preaching tomorrow night. <laughs> I said, what? <laughs> about a little notice. And so I went out on the on the carport there, and I said, Lord, what do you want me to preach about? He said, forgive. Okay, more would be nice, forgive. That's the only, gave me one word, forgive. And it ended up, as, as we brought it to the, to the inmates, it was a, a word on forgiveness and who had they forgiven and who had they, they were holding bitterness and anger for and how it was blocking what they were doing. I said, wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So I happened to be teaching Sunday school the next Sunday. I'd asked the Lord again, and he was, I don't know why he was doing this for this one week. And he said, um, I said, Lord, I, want, I need to teach, you know, what am I going to teach on Sunday? He said, Resurrection. Remember that? One word again, resurrection. I said, well, we're all Christians. I think everybody understands what resurrection is. And as it turned out, we started talking about the resurrected life and what that means and, 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 and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and those sort of things. So after pastor had called me and said, okay, I, you know, I want you to preach on the, on the 26th, I said, okay. I asked the Lord again. Okay, a little more, little more this time, Father God. That would be nice. He said, Exodus. There, there's a short topic. So I spent the last couple of weeks putting all that together. But for, what does forgive, resurrection, and Exodus have in common? It's exactly what the Israelites went through. And it talks about salvation and redemption and the resurrected life and the spirit-led life through all of that as I got into it. And so I went back and started reading Exodus again and reading it really from a different angle this time and just to try and get some kind of, of application to what I want to talk about is our journey. Because we're all on this journey. We're all, on, we're all growing every week. We're growing every month. We're growing every year. And we're always changing. But we're on this journey. Sometimes we're on it together. Sometimes it feels like we're the only one on the journey. And then other times we have brothers and sisters that come up and say, hey, i got a word for you. And it's exactly what you needed, what you've been praying for. So we're all on that journey. So I went back and I said, well, the deliverance of Israel was after 400 years of slavery, obviously. And so we all know the story, so I'm not going to stay there too long. 
And I started looking at some of the some of the similarities of what happened and how when Moses was born, his mother had to give him up because they were going to kill all the children, and he was raised by Pharaoh's daughter. But what's the similarity? When Jesus was born and Herod passed the, the, the law that all the children should be killed under two years old, they took him to where? Egypt. I said, wow. So the deliverer for the Israelites came out of Egypt, and our deliverer came out of Egypt. That must mean something. So I kept reading, kept looking to see what was going on there. Well, Moses up on the mountain sees a burning bush, just talking to him. I'm putting it in our terms. And he said, okay, this is not right. Who's, you know, looking around? And it's God talking to him. And so as he tells him what he's going to have to do, and, and, and he says, how do I know that that's going to be true? He says, what's that in your hand? He says, well, it's my staff. He says, throw it down. So he throws down the staff, and it turns into a snake. And it says in the Bible, he ran from it. <laughs> <laughs> which we all would do. I mean, you think about that. So he, still, so he still has to be convinced that this is God. And he says, who should I tell him that you are? And in the Amplified it says, I am who I am, and I will be what I will be. I never read it that way before. So that, that applies to me now. In, in, this, in this, what I will be, I will be. So we already had the Abrahamic covenant that had already been established. So Moses goes back to the to, to uh, Aaron and a few of them, and he says, okay, there's a bush that's burning and has been talking to me, and my staff turned into a snake. <laughs> so if I went to my brothers, they would go, what? <laughs> what? What is that all about? So it took a while to get Aaron convinced, but then they finally figured out what they were going to do. And so they went back to Pharaoh, and Aaron had to do the talking, right? And so all the plagues, we know the story. I'm not going to go through all of it. That was the signs of divine authority that was established for the Israelites to be set free. When Jesus was walking and talking in this earth, he had signs of divine authority that he showed. The healings, raising people from the dead. I mean, you can't unsee a blind man stand up and walk. You can't unsee the guy that's laid there for 38 years beside the water stand up and walk. And, of course, the Pharisees were screaming, Oh, my goodness, look, he's carrying his mat on the Sabbath. <laughs> they didn't get it. You know, they didn't see it. Well, neither did, neither did the, 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 the Israelites back then. So finally... Finally, he sends the very last plague, the very last condemnation. That's the Passover. And we all know what that is. The blood of the lamb has to be on the lintel. It's not a coincidence that Jesus, the blood of the, the lamb, was sacrificed on Passover. See, he set this up way, way long time ago. The plan that he had was the plan for the deliverance of mankind further, for, you know, 400 years later. 500 years later, it was going to get started. So we start looking at that. I said, wow. It means the Holy Spirit must have been present there somewhere in, the, in all of this. Well, of course it was. So we start talking about deliverance and salvation. 
Of course, we know what that means. And in, in John 1, in the Gospel of John, and we, and we teach this a lot in, in the, when, we're talk, excuse me, when we're talking to the inmates, because the Gospel of John seems to contain everything in it. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with God in the beginning. And in Genesis 1.1, of course, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth, and it was formless and void. And it says that the flesh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? And then in John 1.12-13, he says, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, this sounds a lot like what Moses had to convince the Israelites to do, right? He gave the right to become children of God. First time we've, we hear that. We, be, we have the right to become the children of God. Chil- children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband will but of God that's pretty powerful and so when when we see that in John when we're trying to convince people of, of, of okay this is why you should be saved and, and of course if, if ever anybody started out in the Baptist church I did when I was little you know you, you learn the first one the words that you're supposed to say to people to really offend them and they leave and that's what happens because you're really on fire right and so you turn or burn and you're gonna you're not gonna make it but skip forward to John 3 where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And Jesus, and, and they had the conversation, jump down to verse 3. It says, Jesus replied, very, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. And I, I know you guys have heard this a few times, but I'm going to preach it every time I get to it. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked, surely they can't enter a second time in the mother's room. And Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, and this is important, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And in, in, in the Bible, when it says, but the spirit gives birth to spirit, that's big S, spirit, and small s, spirit, human spirit. So about a year ago, I was reading Ezekiel. 36, 25 through 28. And it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit, small s. I will remove from you your your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Look at this, verse 27. And I will put my spirit, big s, in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Now, what happens when you're conceived? Go back up to where he says, Very truly, I say to you, you must be born again. Well, you're born with a human spirit. And then when you receive Christ, you get a new spirit. He gives you a new, a new human spirit. That's how I read that. And so when I, and I've noticed that when I see people who are saved, who finally have given their life, and it happened to me too, when I stood up, I felt different. You feel different. You're not the same guy. And you're going, hey, this is weird. Because we're a new spirit. We're a new person. And he puts his spirit, big S, in us on purpose. says that right there in Ezekiel. So when we preach that to the inmates, they get it. 
the ones that get it, they, they get saved. We preach that to anybody who understands that when we say we must be born again, we're truly being born again. Getting a new spirit, getting a new heart, getting all the new stuff. And that's why we can walk away and, and, and all of a sudden things that we would read in the Bible and people would preach to us, all of a sudden it makes sense. Where before it didn't make it, you know, get away from me, that's just foolishness. Didn't it say that in the Bible? It's just foolishness if we don't have the Spirit. So, and, I, and this is all preamble to where we're going on the journey, so bear with me. So, then we come to redemption. And, what is, and so when we're talking about forgiveness, and I'm going to jump down to Matthew 26, 26 through 28, but I'm really going to go to 28. When they're eating and they're, and they're, and they're taking the, the communion, he took a cup and he'd given thanks. He gave it to him and said, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant. Okay, here we are, another covenant. There's about seven covenants in the Bible that we have to, that we can study. But this, is, this covenant is going to be the most important covenant, the most fearful covenant, the most blessed covenant that God's going to do for mankind. When Jesus is in the garden at Gethsemane and he's on his face and he's saying, please take this cup from me, he's not scared of dying. He's not worried about the cross. He already knew that was going to happen. And one, so one time I went back and started looking at what does cup mean when it talks about it in the Bible? That's usually a judgment or a wrath presented by God going way back into the, into the Old Testament. So what is this cup he's saying take from me? Think about what this covenant is. This is the final judgment for all of mankind. You receive me, you receive this cup, or you, or you go to hell. That's it. That's it. This is that easy. So he's, he's, he loves mankind. He's saying, God, if this is your will, okay, I will do it. But when he goes to the cross, what he's doing, he's condemning all of mankind until they receive his blood. Till they receive the blood of the covenant. Till they receive the blood of the lamb that's on the lintel, just like the Israelites. It's a, just like the firstborn were going to die back then. Guess what? Same thing. See, the, see how it's the same? God had the same plan going forward through the whole Old Testament and New Testament. He, his, he was the same then as he, you know, with the Israelites that he is with us today. So that covenant meant... This, in 20, verse 28, 26, 27, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many of the forgiveness of sins. And we've said that so many times, so many ways, to so many people, those of us who preach it. I don't think, I think it almost becomes a, a, just, just a, a phrase we use instead of something that's, that's eternally damnation for people. If you don't receive this covenant, which is poured out for me, for the forgiveness of sins, you're not going to make it. It's really easy to get religious like that and, 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 and just preach it all the time. But what if you can make it real for people? What if you can make them understand what, what, what's really at, this, at stake here? It's, it's the rest of your eternal life. In Matthew 6... For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Verse 15. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. 
So one of the things I would ask the guys, I'd say, who in here is holding a grudge? They cannot forgive someone. And a few of them would raise their hands. Of course, they've lived a bad life. But even other people, when you ask them that, yeah, there are people, Christians, who will say, I can't forgive. I'm sorry, they did, they did me wrong. But when you have that anger and that bitterness and that vengefulness, you, you can't proceed down the journey. You're stuck right there. You have the anger against someone, and it's probably well-deserved. Nobody's going to argue that with anybody. Probably well-deserved that what they did to you was reprehensible. It was wrong. They deserved to, and I, well, I said it pretty brutal to the guys in, in the prison. I said, so you, you want them to die a horrible death, linger for a long time, and go to hell, right? And they look at me for a minute like, wow, that's pretty tough, but yeah. <laughs> But that's the anger and the bitterness that keeps you from growing. And I said it's, and it's, you guys have heard this before, it's like drinking poison and watching and waiting for the other person to die. It poisons your soul. It poisons your thoughts. You cannot. So forgiveness becomes part of the redemptive process as we're talking about the journey here. And Christians are guilty of that. We do that. I say we, not euphemistically. I've had to work with that myself. Because people deserve to not be forgiven sometimes, in my mind, and in, in a lot of people's minds. And you have to really, really come to the point where you can say, okay, forget it. I don't care. I just want to be at peace with you, God. And that's what you got to do. And that's what you got to do. So when, when we get, get to that point, we go to, and I'm going to go to Luke 6, 37. It says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Yeah, but you've never been on 290 when it was under construction. <laughs> but, that's, but really, there is a, a, a that do not judge and you will not be judged. There is a, a reciprocal law here in, in place. Forgive and you will be forgiven, is what it says. Give and it will be given to you. We use it for, for collecting you know tithes and offerings, too. A good measure, pressed down, shaking together. We've heard that 100,000 times. But it's the same thing with judgment. You give judgment, guess what? You'll get judgment back. You give condemnation, you'll get condemnation back. And that's not what we want to trade in. So, going, going forward into our journey, what we call the resurrected life. In the day of Pentecost, the Holy, the Holy Spirit comes at, at, at Pentecost. And, you know, Jesus, and we're going to go through some of that, what he talked about in, in, in John 14. He talked about and he told the, the uh, disciples over and over and over again what was going to happen and how it was going to happen and what was going to happen. So when they, he had told them, go in the upper room, wait for, wait for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as, as the Spirit enabled them. And so all the people that were gathered there, of course, heard that. And it's the first time they'd ever seen something like that. And they're saying, how come we can hear them in our own tongue? What's going on with that? And I've heard a lot of people make, do different uh, uh, interpretations of that. And that it was the Tower of Babel being released again. And da, 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 da. It was an interpretation of tongues is what was happening. Those were, those were, those were holy words being spoken by those people and they didn't even know it and they were given the gift of interpretation right at that same moment so they could hear everybody in the same 
the same language. I know one time in Africa, it happened to me. And people were speaking to me in pidgin English, and I heard them in English, and I was telling him exactly what they wanted to be prayed for. After a while, he looked at me and says, what are you doing? How do you know that's what they're saying? I said, well, they're talking to me in English. He said, no, they're not. They're talking to you in pidgin. I, I heard it in English. To this day, I still remember I heard that in English. <laughs> but I know it happens, and I know that can happen. But we hear it all the time in the church, too, with the outpouring of the Spirit. So when, when we see that, that that Holy Spirit has been given to us, they were, the people were yelling and screaming. said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, what does this mean? And so that's when uh, Peter, and poor Peter, he gets a bad rap up until now. He, he, he probably was the most outspoken of all the disciples. He, uh, he got, got yelled at a few times, denied Christ three times. Uh, get behind me, Satan. You know, we, we've all heard the stories of that. He launches into the most dynamic speech any of the disciples ever made. And why is that? Because he's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the cup that's being poured out. This is the cup that's being poured out on us. And he says, and it's from Joel 2, 28-32, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I must not be an old man yet because I'm not getting the prophetic dreams yet. Kathy is, but I'm not. Me and Pastor laugh about that because she gets prophetic dreams and I get pathetic dreams. <laughs> but I'll, I listen to hers and I go, yeah, okay, good, we'll do that. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And we hear that a lot these days. We hear the prophecies. And it goes on to say, test the prophecies and all that. But in Psalm 16, 8 through 11, it says, I saw the Lord always before me. This is David. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. This is talking about the, the resurrection. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, go back to the covenants. We're talking about, in the, in the original covenant, in Exodus... And there's a, there's, a, there's a covenant in Exodus 6, and that's, that's with uh, Abraham. But if you go up to after they're, after they're released from slavery, it says in Exodus 19, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, and then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. That's what he's telling the Israelites. You will be my treasured possession. And all the whole earth is mine. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He kept his side of the bargain. They didn't. Over and over and over again. So one time I was praying, I think it was, man, back in 2004, five, three or four. And I was in a pretty righteous mode. And I said to the Lord, I said, how did you put up with the Israelites? Stiff-necked, rebellious. They never, ever did what you wanted them to do. They went their own way. And in a very quiet voice, he said, how are you so different? Oh, it's time for service. i got to go. <laughs> but it's the truth. How are we so different? How are we so different? We're not. 
And so through the centuries, mankind hasn't changed much, have we? With the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can. So in Jeremiah, when he says to them, finally, he says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord because they all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. So he's already prepared the Israelites for the new covenant that's going to come along. Of course, he's, and I read what Ezekiel uh, said after that. And that's the new born-again covenant. That's what we operate under. That's what we're supposed to operate under. And I only got another hour left here, so. So what that leads us to is this spirit-led life, this journey that we're all on. All of us are on, the, are on this growth path, every one of us. We've got an infilling of the Holy Spirit. We have gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, divine nature, and it has the characteristics of God. And I've, and I've preached this in the men's uh, group. It, God did his portion of what was supposed to happen. Jesus came and did what his portion was. And then the Holy Spirit came after the day of Pentecost. And as a, as a Christian church, we celebrate and this the Trinity in one. It's hard for us to wrap our heads around that, but it's God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. That's what we do. That's what we do. God, the magnificent creator, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it's equal to both of those. They're not, they're all three the same. They're all the same strength. They're all the same person. It's God, the Father, God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all in one. And we deny that Holy Spirit. We deny the power that, that comes with that. Because it's everywhere present, omniscient, omnipotent. Why do we, why do we not re- re- really receive that? One of my favorite stories, and that's why I go back to John a lot, the woman at the well, and Jesus goes there on purpose. In fact, he, he went a different route to get there, sent the guys off to go get some some. Uh, food, and here's this lady who's a fallen lady. She wouldn't be there by herself in the middle of the day if she wasn't. And he says, give me some water. And, it, Jesus, and he, she says, well, I don't, I don't have anything to get it with. And Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. And water is synonymous with the Holy Spirit, right? The woman said to him in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, here's how he, here's how he answered her, Go call your husband and come back. And, of course, she says, well, I don't have a husband. He goes, yeah, because the guy you got here with now is not your husband, and, you, you know, you have him with five other guys. And so she runs back to the village, and she tells them, listen to what she says. She says, come meet a man who's told me everything I've ever done in my whole life. That ain't what he said. He passed on the Holy, Holy Spirit right there when he said, go call your husband. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
That's what happens when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. He awakens our, our, our awareness. He awakens who we are. Now all of a sudden I can understand scriptures that I couldn't understand before. All of a sudden I'm standing up in front of people preaching. Not all of a sudden, it took a few years. But that's what happens. You, you start getting hungry, hungry to share. So going forward, like I said, in John 14, John, Jesus is comforting the disciples because he knows what's coming. He's, you know, he, he's trying to help them understand. They don't have a clue. And in fact, they don't have a clue up until the resurrection and they finally see him again, right? And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He says, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And in, in verse 14, 11, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing. And they will do even greater than these because I'm going to the Father. How many times have we read that? How many times have we said we believed it? How many times have we practiced it? How many times have we laid hands on people? How many times has the Holy Spirit said, see that lady standing over there? She's crying in the aisle. You need to go talk to her. Not me. It must be someone else. And he will. He'll send someone else to, to minister to that lady. I want to be that person. I want to be the one ministering to them. I want to tell them the joy and the love of God. And that's why he's saying, greater things will you do. Understand that. Let the Holy Spirit dwell up inside of you. So you can hear it and see it. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you're connected to the Holy Spirit, you can ask for anything in his name, and he will do it. It doesn't say you may ask me for some things that I approve ahead of time. But if you're in the Spirit, and you're talking to God, and you're in a prayer mode, he's not going to tell you to do something he's not going to do. That's what he used to say. I only say what the Father tells me to say. I only do what the Father tells me to do. Right? And that's why in, in verse 15 he says, it's necessary that I go away. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you forever, the spirit of truth. And in verse 18, I love this one. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. On that day that you realize that I am in my Father, you are in me, and I am in you. He actually prays that for us in 1717. Father, help them understand that I am in them. You are in me. Again, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit, all one in us. Paul knew that. Paul got that. That's what he says in Ephesians. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that God that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. We don't have to sit in church and wonder, 
how that guy over there got that spirit of wisdom and revelation. You have it. I have it. Says it right there. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. Listen to this. An incomparably great power for us who believe. Incomparably great power. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. No different. It's not Holy Spirit 2. It's the same. It's the same Holy Spirit. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above, far above all rule, all authority, and power and denomination, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but in the one to come. I say that's forever. That's what we have at our fingertips, guys. We have that at our fingertips. Why don't we use it? Why don't I use it? Why do I let the world get in the way of that? Why do I let worries wake me up at 2 o'clock in the morning? Well, I've got to worry about this. I've got to worry about that. I don't have to worry about any of that. I don't have to worry about any of that. So when we have God's wisdom revealed by his spirit, one of the things that we get are the fruits. And I've talked about the fruits a lot, but I like to list them upside down. So we get self-control and gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and kindness and patience and peace and joy and love. And the reason I list them upside down, because if you have the fruit, number nine, self-control, you're going to get the rest of them real quick. <laughs> Controlling self is probably the hardest thing we have to do as Christians, isn't it? Controlling self helps me. I have to decide that I'm going to pray in the mornings at 6 o'clock for 15 years now. You know why? Because if I don't come up, get dressed, drive my car up here and pray, I sit at home and I don't do it. So I decided a long time ago that's the only way I'm going to do it. By God, that's what I'm going to do. And so over the years, it's, it's grown into a, like a ministry. But that's the reason I started doing it in the first place, because I couldn't do it at home, because I would start thinking about what I'm going to do that day or to get tires put on the car. Or, wait a minute, I haven't paid those bills yet. Oh, wait, i got to pray. And so making it a purpose statement, a purpose journey to get up here and pray, I invite everyone to join us every morning at 6 or 9. We have a 9 o'clock, too. If you can't make it at 6, make it at 9. And... It changes the way you think. It changes the way you walk. It changes the way, and we can minister to each other. Roy and I have preached each other happy on many a Saturday, and we didn't even intend to. We just came up to pray and just in just a study. So what is the culmination of all the fruits of the Spirit? Manifesting in our soul, mind, and motion, producing a longing in our spirit to continually interact with the access the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's called love. That's God's love. I bless you all with that love tonight. Amen. Thank you, Father, for your words tonight. Lord, we just worship you tonight. And you are dismissed. Amen. <laughs>